Chapters twenty and twenty one of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty Fair as the first that fell of womankind. Though the baronet had proposed this visit to Mr. Carew, he was in no haste to leave that place of shadows, the old churchyard. This was the first time that he and Sylvia had ever met alone, and it seemed too good an opportunity to be lost he wanted to know something about the antecedents of the girl who had stolen his heart before he was aware her father would be close and guarded no doubt if there were anything to conceal but these lovely lips must be candour itself a fine old church said sir aubrey as if his thoughts had taken an archaeological bent you have lived in headingham a long time i suppose miss carew he went on dismissing the church in a breath ever since i can remember all my life you were born here then i conclude no happily for sylvia the dust hid that deep blush of shame which dyed her cheek she did not even know the name of her birthplace so dumb had her father been about the past what should she do if sir aubrey asked her home questions your father has no provincial accent i observed continued sir aubrey trying to put his inquiries in a purely conversational form he is a londoner i conclude he came here from london yet carew is a west country name is it asked sylvia helplessly and then thinking that some degree of candour might help her better than persistent reserve she said my father began life in much better circumstances i believe and he does not like talking about the past i only know that we have lived here ever since i can remember and always the same kind of life it is very monotonous to sir aubrey this complaint seemed somewhat puerile he had lived the same life for the last thirty years of choice vibrating like a pendulum between parium place and the faubourg st honore and living in paris almost as quietly as he lived at parium my fair child he said in his grand way youth is full of restless fancies when you are a few years older you will know that there is no life so happy as that which glides on smoothly amidst familiar scenes sylvia sighed but did not presume to argue the point with sir aubrey she only thought that had she the power such wealth as his can give she would not waste life in monotony that young aspiring spirit hungered for variety sylvia carew possessed in an eminent degree that quality which is at once perilous to the peace of the heart and conducive to the growth of the mind she was ambitious and her ambition fostered in solitude and fed on dreams was at the root of this eager desire for change you are at least happy in the privilege of inhabiting so beautiful a spot as headingham said the baronet is it really beautiful you have seen the danube the black forest the hearts the tyrol the Alps, rome venice and yet you think headingham beautiful she ran over the names of river forest mountains and city breathlessly they were on the tip of her tongue so ardently had she longed to see the scenes they represented Yes drawled sir aubrey with that soft languor which was not without its charm i have done the grand tour very fatiguing business in my day a succession of wretched inns musty post-chaises and dust and bad roads and <clears throat> insects which politeness forbids me to particularize in my time it was esteemed essential for a gentleman to do the grand tour nowadays it is the common people who travel there is a railroad up the rigi and mont blanc is the primrose hill of the modern counter-jumper sylvia sighed she began to feel that she lived too late 
the world had become vulgarized and the glory of this earth had in a measure departed will you come to see papa now sir aubrey she asked rising from her seat on the tomb whenever you will be kind enough to show me the way sir aubrey felt that he had obtained very little information it was something to hear that the father of the woman he admired had seen better days yet as the vicar had told him the same thing he was no wiser for his talk with sylvia she had the air of a lady he thought though not that society manner which he should have desired for the future lady Perriam. there was a suddenness a freedom in her speech like a creature only half tamed the beauties whom sir aubrey had hitherto admired had been distinguished by a graceful lassitude and an elegant weariness this girl looked as if her veins held quicksilver but then she was lovelier than the fairest of those more courtly beauties and there was a novel charm in that energy which was never loud-voiced or masculine that pretty petulance which had so bewitching an air of candour those hazel eyes which she turned to him now in the summer dusk the fair paleness of that divine complexion where out of an italian picture could he find such beauty he followed her along the little path through the gate in the garden where the lavender bushes looked grey under the stars papa said sylvia going into the parlour sir aubrey perriam has come to talk to you about the school mr carew put aside his pipe and rose hastily to greet the visitor a very different guest from that wretched supplicant of last night the schoolmaster was more moved by this unexpected honour than a man of his temperament should have been but he contrived to conceal his emotion and received sir aubrey as calmly as if he had been accustomed to the dropping in of baronets yet in his heart there was a swelling sense of triumph what can he come for except to see her he asked himself and a man of his age once hit must be hit deeply i should draw no augury from a young man's philandering but this means something serious the baronet began to talk about the school and succeeded pretty well in giving a parochial tone to his visit would a new schoolhouse prove a positive advantage to the village of headingham or was it only a hobby of the vicar's and was the present site the best possible ground for such a building and was the scheme popular among the headingham people before committing himself to any promise of assistance sir aubrey desired to be assured of these facts all these questions sounded strictly proprietorial questions which a lord of the manor would naturally put to his lieges but james carew saw through the flimsy pretext and marked the eyes which wandered involuntarily to the spot where sylvia sat with her back to the open lattice the night wind faintly stirring her hair you are fond of books miss carew i see said sir aubrey glancing at the recess on one side of the fireplace where hung three small painted shelves adorned with blue ribbons those scraps of blue told the baronet to whom the books belonged yes said the father with a touch of pride she is more studious than most girls of her age and has taught herself french and german and i believe a little latin with a very small help from me many a time and oft had he grumbled at those studious propensities complaining with scant justice that sylvia neglected his comforts in order to pore over her books but he felt to-night that her accomplishments were something to boast of sir aubrey went over to the recess and looked at the books the sorrows of werther in the original eugenie gandet faust also in the original lamartine's girondiste victor hugo's ode et ballade bulwer's zanoni 
and a dozen others of the same order nothing that was not classic sir aubrey took down one of the volumes haphazard it was werther he opened the book and on the fly-leaf saw something that startled him almost as if his hand had lighted on an adder sylvia from edmund in memory of sunday april fifteenth this sunday was the day when edmund standon first saw sylvia in the church from edmund said sir aubrey looking at the inscription your brother or cousin i presume she has neither brother nor cousin answered mr carew looking daggers at his daughter those very books had hung above his head for the last three months and he had never taken the trouble to examine them some village admirer no doubt said the baronet blandly but pierced to the heart by jealousy's sharp fang while he had been debating whether he should or should not offend the tutelary deity of the periums by a misalliance this girl was perhaps the plighted wife of some clodhopper a boor whose vulgar desires had never soared above a whitewashed hovel and an arbour of scarlet runners mr carew seeing rocks to leeward took rapid counsel with himself and decided that candour was best after all he could best exalt his child by showing that she had already been sought by her superior in station it was just possible that the baronet might be of that jealous temper which bids a man draw back from the pursuit of the dearest object does he but think he has a rival but this narrow and captious temper is happily rare mr carew reflected that mr standon's courtship of his daughter was most likely known to the village gossips and would probably reach the ears of sir aubrey yes there could be no doubt that the true policy here was candour mr standon would hardly like to hear himself called a village admirer said the schoolmaster standon what the banker's son yes he has had the misfortune to fall in love with my foolish daughter yonder and she has been so silly as to give him some slight encouragement however that is all over now the young gentleman called upon me yesterday morning to urge his suit and i gave him a very straightforward answer you refused him asked the baronet unconditionally you look surprised sir aubrey you think that a banker's son would be a very good match for a parish schoolmaster's daughter and so i grant you he would have been were there no drawback if he marries my daughter he marries her in direct opposition to his mother and though i am a poor man i hold honour before self-interest i will not suffer my child to enter a family which refuses her an affectionate welcome this sounded noble especially as mr carew's speech gave no hint of mrs standon's power to disinherit her son i applaud your spirit sir said the baronet stealing a look at sylvia curious to know how near this subject was to her heart that drooping face bent over the needlework in the girl's hands told him nothing he saw only the fair young brow the downcast eyelids with their auburn lashes the attitude was of calmest repose passion could scarcely stir the heart beneath that tranquil bosom having discussed the vicar's pet scheme in all its bearings sir aubrey had no excuse for lingering yet he lingered talking of the village and its surroundings keenly interested in discovering what kind of man mr carew was an educated man evidently to begin with and a man who had at some period of his existence been familiar with polite society the glory of sir aubrey's presence abashed him not at all the little dutch clock struck ten and sir aubrey rose with a guilty start 
upon my word i owe you a hundred apologies he said these summer evenings delude me into a forgetfulness of time pray do not apologize for the lateness of your visit sir aubrey the evening is the only time in which i am my own master and free to receive a visitor then i may drop in again some evening to hear how the plans progress asked sir aubrey quite ignoring the fact that nothing serious was likely to be done for the next two years i shall be honoured by your visit sir aubrey you are very good returned the baronet and then with some hesitation he went on if at any time while the summer evenings last you would like to bring miss carew to see perriam unless indeed she has seen it already i should be very happy to show you the house and gardens there is nothing new-fangled none of those frivolous inventions for spending money with which people fill their places nowadays but the gardens are large and the house is well built it might repay the trouble of a visit we shall be delighted to come sir aubrey neither i nor my daughter has seen perriam place why not fix upon a day then could you come to-morrow we have no engagements said mr carew with his somewhat bitter smile let it be to-morrow then i shall expect you at eight o'clock and you can give me any new ideas that may have occurred to you about the school shall i send a carriage for you and miss carew you are too kind sir aubrey no thanks we would rather walk over to perriam it is a pleasant walk across the fields so be it then my brother and i will show you the house and gardens perhaps we had better say half-past seven there might be hardly light enough after eight said sir aubrey gravely this advancement of the hour would oblige him to dine a little earlier than usual a serious consideration for a gentleman of fixed habits half-past seven if you prefer that hour sir aubrey replied the schoolmaster thanks good-night good-night miss carew you mustn't laugh at our old-fashioned ways at perriam people tell me we are half a century behind the times but the perriams have been tories ever since they were perriams good-night and thus with a somewhat lingering pressure of sylvia's little hand sir aubrey departed mr carew escorted him to the garden gate with ceremonious politeness he knew exactly where to draw the line between the respect due to the lord of the soil and servility he stood at the gate and watched the slim upright figure till it vanished in the half-dark of the summer night then he went slowly back to the parlour sylvia had thrown aside her work she was sitting in a listless attitude with fixed brooding eyes bent upon the ground the attitude of one absorbed in deepest thought mr carew looked at her curiously as he barred the door there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune he said very slowly and this was his sole comment upon sir aubrey's visit twenty one she is woman therefore to be won the next morning's post brought sylvia a letter from edmund standon a letter written at southampton the night before the mail steamer left that port it was the first letter her lover had ever written to her at headingham it had been easy for them to meet and there had been no need of letters and this first love-letter was very sweet to her though a vague flavour of bitterness mingled with that sweetness so many obstacles arose to block the path along which they two had sworn to travel hand in hand 
sylvia shed some of her rare tears over that letter and kissed the page which her lover's hand had pressed indeed it was a letter which any woman might have been proud to receive a letter breathing as pure and honest a love as ever man felt for woman a brave letter in which the young man spoke confidently yet not recklessly of the battle of life which he was to fight for the maintenance of his home i have begun to prepare myself already dearest he wrote and i am endeavouring to supply anything wanting in an education which has up to this point been literary rather than commercial i provided myself with some of the best books on finance and the economy of banking as i came through london and i am going in seriously for study on the voyage out i hope to have made myself in theory at least a good banker by the time i get back to england so that i may present myself to the directors at monkhampton with the double advantage of my father's name and my own knowledge this was the only business-like paragraph in the letter the rest was all lover's talk of that rose-coloured future that almost celestial felicity with which youth's fond credulity invests an earthly lot but there was not a line which did not go straight home to sylvia's heart he trusted her so entirely not a thought of doubt breathed in that letter it was written to a woman whom the writer believed above suspicion i should be the worst and basest of women if i betrayed such affection thought sylvia with a sigh as she at last laid down that dear letter yet i see nothing but difficulties in our path she had before the eyes of her mind those eyes which see so many things as the dreamer sits in her quiet chamber another path which was set by no perils a path which seemed to be strewed with roses only on this path the genius of domestic love shed not her starry light there were the roses of worldly prosperity the honour and reverence of mankind the splendour of a great triumph but love stood with averted face in the background of that picture and cried here i have no place no said sylvia i cannot be false to him unhappily when a woman tells herself she cannot betray it is a sure sign that she has contemplated the possibility of treachery mr carew was particularly civil to his daughter all this day there was an altered tone which puzzled sylvia she did not know that this novel courtesy was shown to the future lady perriam do you want a new bonnet or anything to make you tidy this evening he asked during the midday calm while the schoolboys had gone home to their dinners i want lots of things papa the girl answered quickly but if you can give me a sovereign that will do a sovereign exclaimed mr carew do you think i am made of money here you can have this half-sovereign it will be hard enough for us to rub on till next quarter but we must manage somehow thank you papa half a sovereign is better than nothing be sure you look your best this evening why papa do you suppose two old gentlemen like sir aubrey and mr perriam will notice my looks sir aubrey is a gentleman in the prime of life don't let me hear you call him old any more when afternoon school had begun and mr carew was again absorbed by his uncongenial duties sylvia opened her desk and directed an envelope to mrs carford care of mrs wood bell alley fetter lane she wrote only one line on a sheet of paper i send a little help all i have to send no signature no word more in this sheet of paper she folded the half-sovereign and carefully enclosed her little packet in the envelope 
this done she went to the village post-office registered her letter and posted it i am sending my little bit of pocket-money to my old nurse she said to mr prosser the chemist in explanation of this unusual proceeding people who live in a village are expected to explain themselves if they deviate ever so little from the beaten track of life perhaps this one small piece of self-sacrifice was sylvia's first good action destiny might also intend it to be her last she gave a little sigh as she dropped the letter in the box thinking of the monkhampton drapers and the sash and neck ribbons she might have bought with those ten shillings ribbons that would have given colour and brightness to that plain muslin dress which she was to iron this afternoon cleanliness was the only luxury miss carew could afford herself and for this she was dependent upon her own industry yet when half-past six o'clock came and sylvia was dressed for the visit to Perium, no ribbon seemed wanting to set off that beauty whose highest charm was its spirituality not the mere sensuous beauty of a lovely soulless image but the changeful loveliness of an intellectual being that still loftier charm of nobility of nature might seem wanting to the keen eye of the acute physiognomist but acute physiognomists are happily rare and those who looked at sylvia for the most part saw intellect and beauty and took goodness for granted mr carew seemed to his daughter almost a new man as they walked across the fields sometimes by a broad sweep of purple clover sometimes in the narrow path between tall boundaries of wheat ripe for the sickle sometimes by a green lane where belated birds chirruped among the darkening leaves of oak and elm he talked and with amazing cheerfulness praised sir aubrey's elegant appearance and perfect manners remarked in passing that there was no position upon this lower world more agreeable than the position of a country gentleman with an unencumbered estate harped upon the well-known wealth of the periums their quiet manner of living whereby that wealth must have gathered bulk from year to year like a rolling snowball sylvia heard and sighed regretfully and thought of that dear letter locked in her desk at home i wish edmund had never loved me she thought her mind dwelling upon the writer of that letter while the schoolmaster talked of sir aubrey it might have been happier for both of us perium was built in a valley after the manner of our forefathers who preferred shelter from bleak winds to the splendour of an elevated position and save for aggressive or defensive purposes seldom planted their habitations upon the heights around perium place spread some of the most fertile meadows in the county meadows so richly timbered and park-like that one could scarcely tell where the park ended and the home farm began indeed the park proper was not large but borrowed dignity from the length of a double avenue in which the tall old elm set far back from the road left space for an inner life of araucarias or monkey-trees said to be the finest in england a stately stone archway with a lodge on either side formed the entrance to this avenue mr carew and his daughter did not approach perium by this chief entrance at the edge of the park there was a little old church sunk in a dell enclosed by a crumbling old stone wall in whose insturgis's heart-stung ferns throve abundantly and accessible by a narrow lane with a turnstile through which one came straight into the park itself the raised terrace of the italian garden almost touched the wall within whose boundary the periums lay buried in a narrow graveyard which held nothing but periums and their immediate vassals and the level of the garden being considerably above the level of the churchyard sir aubrey had the advantage of surveying his slumbering ancestors from an eminence a spectacle conducive to meditation and reflections of a horatian character upon the brevity of life 
and the mutability of things in general the little church an appendage of parium the graveyard exclusively devoted to pariums impressed sylvia with a sense of grandeur which all the gold of the rothschilds taken merely as gold could not have inspired that family distinction which comes from long establishment in the land the deep-rooted family tree which has grown and flourished and spread its branches over the same spot almost from the beginning of recorded time is the kind of renown which seems peculiarly dazzling to the waifs and strays of humanity sylvia who knew nothing of her father's history except his dishonour felt this impression keenly and sir aubrey who in the apple orchard had seemed no more than a courteous elderly gentleman acquired on his own domain an almost princely character the schoolmaster and his daughter crossed a stretch of level turf and entered the avenue within a hundred yards of the house sylvia had never before been so near that stately pile she had only seen it from the distance grand and gloomy standing aloof from the elms and beeches of the park the cedars and maples of the lawn on an island of barren gravel and turf laid out stiffly in the italian style with a faunus and a dryad a pan and a syrinx simpering on their pedestals at the angles of the walks the hall door stood open but for ceremony mr carew rang a bell which made noise enough to have startled the establishment of the sleeping beauty he had scarcely done so when he beheld a gentleman crossing the hall a gentleman in shoes tied with rusty ribbons and a coat of somewhat antique cut good evening sir aubrey he said you see we are very punctual sylvia pulled her father's sleeve papa how can you be so stupid she whispered while the gentleman stood smiling inanely with a look of considerable embarrassment the woman's quick eye had noted the difference of dress of style between the two brothers the faces bore a marked resemblance a likeness which in the half-light of the hall had been strong enough to deceive the schoolmaster i beg your pardon faltered mordred perriam you mistake me for my brother we are generally considered alike pray walk in sir aubrey expects you sir aubrey opened the dining-room door at this moment and came out to welcome his visitors yes there was a wide difference between the two men but it was for the most part a difference of dress and style the elder brother was as studious in his costume and as well preserved in his person as a french marquis of the old regime while mordred perriam's high limp shirt-collar cambric frill watered black ribbon and double eyeglass nankeen waistcoat and chocolate-coloured coat ill-cut hair and shaggy eyebrows bespoke the bookworm's indifference to the mutations of fashion or the decay of his good looks even that chocolate coat was a mark of respect to his brother mr perriam was never happier than when loosely enveloped in a dressing-gown which age had rendered dear to him how do you do cried sir aubrey so good of you to come my brother mr perriam miss carew mr carew mr perriam shall we take tea before we walk around the gardens perhaps we had better miss carew must want a little refreshment after her walk and ladies are generally fond of tea there will be light enough for the gardens afterwards i have no floricultural specimens to show you i leave the cultivation of curious plants to foolish old ladies who want to spend their money perriam could be no more than perriam if i squandered a fortune on orchids mr carew murmured his acquiescence with a proposition which seemed incontrovertible and sir aubrey led the way to the saloon where tea had been prepared for the visitors on an oval table in the semicircular bay or alcove at the end of the room 
the china was indian and the silver tray and tea-kettle were specimens of that famous period which still takes highest rank among the connoisseurs of the silversmith's art a plate of delicate bread and butter some dry biscuits in a silver basket and a dish of early plums from the southern wall composed the somewhat unsubstantial meal but the schoolmaster had not come to parium to eat or to drink and sipped his tea out of the crimson and gold dragon china with supreme contentment the baronet had placed sylvia before the tray with a ceremonious request that she would pour out the tea i do it myself when my brother and i are alone he said but it seems much more natural as well as much more agreeable to see a lady in that place sylvia smiled she felt an almost childish pleasure in handling these splendid teacups that antique teapot and the curious old tea-kettle mounted high upon four slim legs never before to-night had she poured tea out of a silver teapot never before to-night touched such costly china and then these things had a peculiar charm of their own which lifted them above the commonplace splendours of the monkhampton shop-windows they possessed the double charm of age and rarity they lingered a little over that simple banquet while the dusk deepened yonder on the cedar-shadowed lawn and the butler always slow to bring lamps and candles left them to enjoy the gloaming sir aubrey was in no hurry to break the spell that bound him he was sitting by sylvia watching her white hands as they hovered about the tea-things with such light gracious movements why should he not have her always to pour out his tea if he chose there was no one to question his will he was supreme master of his life and actions only destiny could interpose to prevent his being happy after his own fashion musing thus sir aubrey fell into a deep silence which no other member of that small assembly ventured to break they were there as his vassals even mordred and if the prince were silent who among them should presume to speak nor was that stillness uncongenial to the summer dusk or the splendid gloom of that spacious apartment sylvia's keen eyes wandered here and there in the gloom why the room was as large as headingham church that lofty ceiling that florid cornice impressed her with an unspeakable sense of grandeur she thought of the schoolhouse parlour with its low ceiling sustained by a clumsy whitewashed beam in which a rusty iron hook or two which no mortal hand seemed strong enough to extract marked where ruder generations had hung their bacon to dry in the reek of the household hearth what a contrast between those two rooms the carpet here was like the turf on the vicarage lawn deep and soft and silent beneath the heaviest footfall the vast room void of pictures mirrors and frippery of all kinds had an almost awful look in the dusk an egyptian temple could have hardly been more solemn come said sir aubrey suddenly rousing himself from that long reverie we shall have very little light for the gardens but you must come again and see them better yes with a desperate plunge you must come and dine with us some day next week sir aubrey heard his brother's startled movement in the dusk yonder it was the slightest possible movement an involuntary action like the start which some people give at a vivid flash of lightning but sir aubrey understood it he knew that there was a wide difference between asking this schoolmaster and his daughter to tea in a purely patronizing way as befitted the lord of the manor and inviting them to dinner as if they were his equals what would the county say thought mordred in mute horror he saw very little of the county himself 
and in the serene retirement of his kitchen garden cared very little what the county thought of him but he had a fixed idea that his brother was bound to defer to the opinion of the county and if he ever married at all to marry in accordance with the expectations of the county sir aubrey had been engaged to a duke's daughter and the county would be slow to forgive him the disgrace of a mean alliance but sir aubrey had cast the die and began to feel reckless after all a man should live for himself he thought shall i have a vinegar-faced spinster to pour out my tea for the sake of the quarterings on her father's shield at my age a man is bound to make the most of his life they went out into the grounds this being part of the programme and a thing to be done here in the cool dusk sir aubrey led his visitors along the stiff walks of the italian garden to that wide terrace from which looking downward they saw parium church sheltered in its green dell and the tombs of the parium clan showing greyish-white against the surrounding foliage such a quiet half-hidden little church and graveyard here verily death must be a peaceful slumber no jar of city traffic to stir the sleeper no roar of steam-engine to shake the mouldering dust mr carew quoted horace involuntarily mr parium delighted at the opportunity began a long story of an amsterdam horace of the sixteenth century which he had acquired a wondrous bargain only one volume being wanting from a bookseller in glasgow full of his story mr parium hooked his arm through the schoolmaster's and trotted him up and down the terrace at his kitchen garden pace and thus placidly unconscious of the mischief he might be doing left sir aubrey and sylvia to their fate the stars were out in the clear summer heaven and in that silver light the girl's face seemed divinely beautiful for all lovely things take new loveliness from the light of moon and stars it was the face of one of raphael's young madonnas serenely pensive with lips half parted in a thoughtful smile as if those deeply dark eyes looked beyond the landscape they seemed to rest on to some fairer spirit-land sir aubrey contemplated his companion in silent admiration as she stood leaning a little against the sculptured vase at an angle of the balustrade could anything so lovely be otherwise than good he asked himself with little doubt as to the answer it seemed to him that this outward perfection implied a corresponding beauty in the spiritual nature and indeed it is possible that in the soul that belonged to this perfect form there had once been all the elements of goodness needing only training for their development some natures are self-sustaining like yonder cedar others are but plants of a parasite growth which need to be directed by the judicious hand of the gardener End of chapters 20 and 21